Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Everybody talks about being the first at something because, well, it's, it's just cool to be first, right? But what about being last? There's something called telesphobia, which is the fear of being last at something. But sometimes you just don't have a choice. For example, the last person killed in World War I was George Edwin Ellison. He was shot by a sniper 90 minutes before the armistice went into effect at 11 a.m. on November 11, 1918. The last time a TV commercial for cigarettes ran on American TV was December 31, 1970. It was for Virginia Slims. And after that, all TV advertising of cigarettes was illegal. And the last man to walk on the moon? Eugene Cernan. Apollo 17, December 1972. After reading through all sorts of famous lasts, I got to thinking, what are some famous musical lasts? Here's what I managed to find out. This is the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and I'm just looking through this list of lasts. The last bare-knuckle boxing match was in 1889. It went 75 rounds. The last Far Side cartoon was published in 1995. The last dodo bird was slaughtered on the island of Mauritius in 1691. Okay, wait, here's, here's some music stuff. The last song the Beatles finished recording before they broke up was I, Me, Mine. That session was on April the 1st of 1970. The last song Elvis ever sang in performance was Bridge Over Troubled Water at a gig in Indianapolis on June 26, 1977. Okay, we've got our compass heading. Let's dig in. The 78 RPM record was the heart and soul of recorded music for more than 50 years. It started showing up sometime before 1900 and was eventually adopted as the standard global format for decades before being shoved out of the way by both the 12-inch vinyl LP and the 7-inch single. So, here is the question. What was the last 78 RPM record officially released by a record company? This is a bit hard to pin down, but we can narrow things to 1960. I can give you some titles. There was Fannie Mae by Buster Brown, which was a blues song. And There Is Something On Your Mind by Bobby Marchand, which was a soul track. Both were recorded on Fire Records both of which came out in America sometime in June of 1960. Here's a sample of the Bobby Marchand song. There is something on your mind 
look at me There is something on your mind, honey In the UK, it's known that HMV Records was pumping out 78s until November of 1960. The last one seems to be this classic from Ray Charles. It's catalog number POP 742. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song. However, the 78 lived on in other parts of the world, especially in South America, Colombia, Uruguay, Argentina, Brazil, perhaps as late as 1963. And then there were subsequent releases in South Africa, India, and the Philippines. There's almost nothing in the way of documentation, so we can't be entirely sure when the very last 78 was finally pressed. Then we run into the whole issue of special promotional 78s that were produced just for fun. Now, remember that a lot of turntables sold through the 1960s, 70s, and even the 80s had a speed setting that allowed you to play old 78s. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. In 1990, Dave Edmonds, a singer from Wales and a contemporary of Elvis Costello, released a 10-inch single for a song called King of Love. This vinyl record featured that song on the B-side and on side A. All right? Both played at 45 RPM, which is exactly the speed that they were supposed to play flip the record over, and there was another version of King of Love, but this time you had to flip the speed to 78, which you got to admit, it's kind of cool. Dave Edmonds from 1990, certainly one of the last performers to release a song on a 78 RPM record. So that may be the last 78. What about another dead format, the 8-track? What was the last album released in that format? Well, first of all, let's back up. The 8-track was invented in 1964 and was based on a technology used in radio stations for playing back songs and commercials and so on. A continuous loop of magnetic tape was placed inside a plastic cartridge. You could fast-forward these things, but you could not rewind. It wasn't perfect, but for the first time, people could enjoy their own music while moving, in a car, for example. And Ford was the first to put eight tracks into vehicles for the 1965 model year. Players and recorders soon made it into home stereos, too, and there were portable eight-track machines as well. Record labels jumped on board, issuing albums in the brand-new format. And hundreds of millions of A-tracks were sold. But it was eventually eclipsed, first by the cassette and then by the compact disc. So here's the question. What was the very last year and the very last albums for A-tracks? In the U.S. and Canada, A-tracks were phased out of record stores by the end of 1982. But they were still popular in certain segments, with long-haul truckers, for example, Eight tracks could still be found in truck stops until at least the late 1980s, maybe even longer. Then there were record and tape clubs. They kept the eight track alive for at least as long. But let's go back to our question. What was the last album released by a record company on eight track? The best answer seems to be Fleetwood Mac's Greatest Hits, which came out in November of 1988. I have a couple of old 8-tracks in my collection. God knows where they came from because I have never owned an 8-track player in my life. Yet, here it is. Weird. 
The B-52s and Rock Lobster from their self-titled debut album in 1979. I have it on 8-track, and I have no idea why. Now let's talk about record sales awards, gold records, platinum records, and so on. The highest sales achievement to be awarded is a diamond record. In America, this means you've sold 10 million copies, 10 million physical copies of your album. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the last ever diamond record we'll ever see, at least using the old metrics, is Adele's 25 album. In September of 2016, it was officially certified as having sold 10 million copies, and worldwide sales are somewhere north of 20 million. However, we've probably reached the end of the era where mega sellers like this can exist. Physical sales of music have been dropping for years. No one is selling the product the way they did in the old days. Adele was a blip, a phenomenon. The chances of there being another record this big, even from Adele or Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift, grow more and more remote as streaming becomes bigger and bigger. Now, I'm not talking about global sales. I'm talking about American sales. We're never going to see someone like Michael Jackson sell 65 million copies of Thriller or ACDC move 50 million copies of Back in Black or 45 million copies of Dark Side of the Moon from Pink Floyd. Those days are done. Today's mega sellers reach maybe 2.5 million, which is a tiny fraction of the way things used to be. So in our book of lasts, Let's just go ahead and put Adele's 25 as the last album to ever achieve diamond status in the United States. Now let's reminisce with Metallica, who have a double diamond award for their Black album from 1991. They claim sales of 30 million, which might be a bit inflated, but we know for sure that it has sold at least 22 million. It's just the beast under your bed, in your closet, in your head. Metallica, part of the old breed of diamond record artists, the likes of which we will probably never see again. The ongoing history book of Last will continue in just a second with a series of Last shows. Nothing ambiguous here. These were all very, very final. I call this show the ongoing history book of Lasts. We've done episodes on firsts, so I thought it was time that we looked at the other end of the spectrum. The next couple of stories have to do with last concerts, starting with the last show Nirvana ever played. I'll give you the date, March 1st, 1994. Nirvana was in the midst of a European tour, and Kurt was not doing well. By the time they reached Munich, Kurt was sick with bronchitis, a not uncommon thing when you're blowing your voice out every night during the winter. That last gig was at a place called Terminal 1, which actually was a former airport terminal. Munich got a new airport in 1992 and the old one was closed. The old terminal turned into a music venue for both concerts and raves. Tickets for this show were 35 Deutschmarks. Things started okay with a cover of the car's My Best Friend's Girl before the band launched into a series of original songs. Then, a few songs later, right in the middle of Come As You Are, the power went out. came back on a few minutes later, and they started again. 
That night, there would be no Smells Like Teen Spirit. They skipped that song, maybe because of Kurt's vocal issues, but they did go through a 23-song set list, and the last song Nirvana ever played live was this one. And that was it for Nirvana and for Kurt. The rest of the tour was canceled. And then two days later, Kurt overdosed in a Rome hotel room in an apparent suicide attempt. And then a month after that, he took out the shotgun and he was gone. In contrast, the last Ramon show was a celebration and was planned as a final show. After playing exactly 2,262 shows, it was determined that the 2,263rd gig would be their last and would happen at a venue called The Palace in Hollywood. After years of eking out an existence in the shadows, the alternative kids of the 1990s realized that so much of their music could be traced back to the Ramones, and the band was finally being recognized for the pioneers that they were. Bands like Pearl Jam and Green Day and Nirvana couldn't talk enough about how important the Ramones were. Part of the long farewell even included some dates on the Lollapalooza tour that year, performing alongside Metallica and Soundgarden. We just thought that the Ramones were sick and tired of the grind and were ready to retire after 22 years. And that was true. But we didn't know at the time was that Joey Ramone was sick. He'd been working through lymphoma and was finding it increasingly hard to deal with the rigors of performing. Joey was always a sickly sort of person, prone to colds and the flu. But only a few people knew what was causing those symptoms in the summer of 1996. Combine that with the tensions within the band and everybody was just too happy to end it all. That final show was on August the 6th of 1996. All kinds of people came to pay their respects, including Lemmy of Motorhead. I'll tell you something, boys and girls. If this is... If this is the last show that reminds to, and it's an insult to the intelligence of the world and a shame for rock and roll, they are one of the best bands you've ever seen, and you neglect them in your family, right? They teach you everything about rock and roll. Everything about rock and roll was in their songs. And if they're young... The last song was a cover. It was a Dave Clark Five song called Any Way You Want It. And as the last song started up, a guy in an army jacket wearing a mask bounced on stage from the left side, dropped the mask, and started singing. It was Eddie Vedder. Eddie was a good friend of guitarist Johnny Ramone, and he invited Eddie to take part in this final, 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 final performance. It's all right, 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 it's all right. The last time we ever saw the Ramones on stage, August 6th, 1996. And after that song ended, everybody in the band just walked away. Nobody said anything. Nobody said goodbye. They just left. Here's one more final show. The last gig at CBGB. Ground zero for so much of the punk rock of the 1970s. This might be the most famous scuzzy rock club in history. When an ex-Marine named Hilly Crystal opened the place in 1973... It was in a part of town where nobody wanted to go. New York was at its economic and social worst, and down in the Bowery was a disaster zone. But rent was cheap, and starving artists could find places to live and rehearse and create. 
After Healy broadened the club's musical policy, it became a hangout for artists and freaks and weirdos. Everybody was left to do their own thing. And it was out of that crazy mixture that punk was born. The Ramones, the Talking Heads, Blondie, Television, and so many hundreds of other groups turned this dive bar into a scene. And from there, the sensibilities born at CBGB spread around the world. CBGB survived for decades, providing a stage for thousands of acts. But by 2005, the running was on the wall. Monthly rent was $19,000. Then there was a lawsuit by a local residence committee for $90,000. There were court cases over the whole thing, and even an attempt to have the club declared a historical landmark. Meanwhile, the neighborhood continued to be gentrified. The old crowd, the old shops, the old venues, the old people were moved out. In the end, rent went up to $35,000 a month, and Hilly had no choice but to close the place down. The final weeks featured bands like Bad Brains, The Dictators, and even Blondie. And on this final night, October 15, 2006, Patti Smith performed one last time. And it ended like this. There must be Patti Smith with the last ever gig at the storied CBGB in New York, October 15th, 2006. One last last coming up. I have one more entry for this ongoing history book of lasts, and it ties into something majorly historic. On October the 2nd of 1990, U-2 boarded a British Airways flight into Tegel Airport in Berlin. That was the last commercial flight into East Germany before East Germany ceased to exist. At the stroke of midnight, there was no more East and West Germany. There was just Germany. People were out on the streets celebrating. There were lights and fireworks everywhere. The pilot at the controls was positively giddy. So we were the last flight in to the old divided Berlin. It's British Airways, last one in the sky. Therefore, the pilot could just circle Berlin. And he had a very plummy accent and it was just I'm going down over the Brandenburg Gate. As you know, we have the skies to ourselves tonight and I'm just going to take on a little tour over here. This was the wall. We're like... And there was a little bit of bombs away about it, no doubt about it. On the left was the Brandenburg Gate. Below and to the right was Hansa Studios, the facility that you two had booked to start working on ideas for their next album. More than a million Germans are out on the streets of Berlin tonight. Celebrating the birth of a united Germany in what is once again its official capital. We went looking for the celebrations because we're Irish and we like to go out. And we ended up in a huge mass rally. But people didn't really look like they're having a very good time. It was like grim, very grim, until we discovered that we weren't at the celebration for the wall coming down. We were at a protest meeting to put the wall back up. Once they extricated themselves from that, U2 was hustled to their temporary rental accommodations. Bono was given the villa where Leonid Brezhnev, the one-time leader of the Soviet Union, used to stay. In fact, he slept in Brezhnev's bed. Later that night, Bono got up to get a drink of water, totally naked, by the way, and he ran into a family of Germans inside the villa. What are you doing here? This is my house, said Bono. No, said the oldest member of the family, this is my house. I was born here, but the communists stole it from me in 1961. 
I want it back. Okay, good point. You win. You two quickly moved to new rental quarters, and that was the strange start to the journey that would eventually result in the Octung Baby album. Back in a moment. All right. Uh, how do I sum up an episode about famous lasts? To everything there is a season, all good things must end. Well, here's a quote I like. It's from Dr. Seuss. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Let's go with that. This program keeps going and going and going. If you would like to discuss anything that you hear, please let me know through alan at alancross.ca and I will get right back to you. I have a website called a journal of musical things.com, which is updated every single day. I do this like religiously. It also comes with a daily newsletter that's 100% free and it's guaranteed to amuse you with music related stuff by 10 a.m. Eastern every single day. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. And don't forget that we're turning all ongoing history radio programs into podcasts. They are free and available on iTunes or wherever you get your on-demand audio. You really should subscribe. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 